Welcome to Legacy Church, Amelia Island. We pray that you are blessed by the message that you are about to hear, and we believe that it will help you leave a Christ-glorifying legacy for generations to come. Well, church family, go ahead and put your hands together for the goodness of our God and our King. Also, we welcome our online family. Thank you for being the best part of who we are at Celebration Church. We exist because of you, because of your families. We are so thankful to have the privilege to gather with you here today. Anybody excited to be in the house of God today? I hope you are. You know, one thing I've learned about God is he meets you at the point of your expectation. And so if you come in here hungry, if you come in here desperate for him, you know what's going to happen? You're going to leave different. Mountains won't even look the same. Because the Bible talks about having the faith to see mountains move. And you'll find out that you might be the mountain that has to move today. But God is so worthy and able to do those things. But I'm grateful to be here with you today. Um, Before I jump into the message today, I want to let you know that tomorrow night is something that's very special in our church. We call it our sunup to sundown. You know, in our church, we're teaching the DNA and the culture of the Bible. And you cannot read through your Bible without prayer and fasting. And so we were talking to our girls Friday night as we were celebrating the Sabbath and talking about what we're going to fast and what we're going to do that day. And so someone might ask, like, well, why are you fasting? What's going on? What's the problem? That's the point. <laughs> you pray and you fast and nothing's going on and there's no problems. You store up for what's ahead and what's to come. And so it's a genuine, intimate time where we come as a church. We have some worship. We share some scripture. We even have some note cards. You can write some prayer requests down and just hang in his presence. Some people sit, some people stand, some people kind of walk the area. But if you have not been, here's my official adore- endorsement. <laughs> Come tomorrow night, gather with us, stay the whole time, stay half of the time, sneak in, sneak out, whatever you have to do. But I want to continue to teach our church how to just tarry in God's presence. That's kind of a King James word, but hang out in God's presence. Get used to what it sounds like. Just say, God, what are you saying? Get used to just communicating with God. And so it's a special, intimate time, and I invite you to be there. It's, it's going to be a fantastic time. Well, I'm excited as we head into week two of our series called What's Next. I'm going to say, What's Next? So we took a break last week as we had Pastor Leighton German here. How incredible was he? Yeah? I wish I could go to his church, but I have my own. So he was amazing. The message he spoke, it was, it was incredible. But in two weeks ago, we opened up this, this, this message series, and here's where it was birthed from. As I was praying and processing for the series after Resurrection Sunday, the Lord began to show me, how in the world do we move on so quickly from Resurrection Sunday when Jesus was still around for 40 days? Who made that thing up, right? Like, how did we get to a space like, okay, stone's gone, move on. Now, there's a whole lot that happened in 40 days that we're going to try to uncover and unpack and grow in our faith. You know, if you read the scripture, there's two things that mark people that came in contact with the resurrected Jesus. You know what those two things were? One, they were never the same. People who ever came in contact with the resurrected Jesus, they were never the same. And I've prayed and I believe that in our church family, we will never be the same at the Resurrection Sunday 2023. Our prayer life is going a different direction. Our worship is going a different direction. We will be stronger. We will be more mature. We will no longer be bandwagon Jaguar fans. I mean, bandwagon Christians. You know what I'm saying? Like when your team's going, your team's going good, you're all about them. But in the high and the low, in good times and bad times, in plenty and lean, we will serve God this year faithfully and obediently. When we arrive in 2024, we'll say, man, I'm making progress in my life. The second thing that marked somebody who came into contact with the resurrected Jesus is they couldn't stop talking about him. You couldn't shut them up. Their testimony, their experience, they saw the resurrected king and it changed everything about them. If we're doing our job well as a church, We're presenting the resurrected king to you. And we should not be the same. We should be telling everybody about him and not just inviting people on Resurrection Sunday. There are 51 other Sundays this year. And so here's really where the series came from. And here's what we're asking God to do. Jesus, can you show us what you wanted us to see? Can you show us why you hung around for 40 more days? And so today I want to talk to you from this thought. Look at your neighbor and tell them the title of the message. It's going to be called Fork in the Road. Fork in the Road. Will you pray with me? Father, we honor you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We pray that you'd have your way. We pray that you'd be the dominant voice. 
We pray that you take the blinders off of our eyes. We pray for the Holy Spirit to have his way and do something today that we've not seen before. We are hungry, we are desperate, and we are desiring to experience you and seek you, we pray in Jesus' name. Someone say amen. So we are headed into summertime. We're almost there. And so many of you, so many of us are already making our summer plans. Anybody with me? You are already booking those tickets, getting that hotel ready. You're already making all the plans and preparations for it. You are getting there. You are preparing and praying for patience to stand in lines at that favorite theme park of yours. You're praying for the spirit of the Lord to encourage you and strengthen you to go yet to another family gathering this summer. Lord, help us all, right? A lot of shaking of the heads. You are preparing yourself to go to some exclusive beach destination. Yes, a lot of shaking of the heads is fantastic. Um, Anybody remember when you were kids and vacationing? Anybody remember those days? I can remember as kids when we were on our vacation, our family vacation. Um, what we didn't know at that time as kids, and it's funny how you just don't know these things, but um, we didn't know we couldn't afford to go on vacation. We just didn't know that. Mom and dad just said every, son, every summer we we're going to grandma and grandpa's house. Anybody's parents do that to you? Like that was your vacation, going to extended family's house, right? Our vacation was going to South Jersey. Any, anybody freaking South Jersey on vacation? Raise your hand if you go on to Camden, New Jersey for a vacation in your life. Wow, okay, we've got a couple. I didn't think it'd be any. Okay, so you know it's not a vacation destination. That is what you know. What you know, it's, it's not the exact place that you'd go for a vacation. And I can just remember, because, um, you know, you go on vacation, you come back, you go to school in August, and the elementary school teachers, they're like a quasi-mom. You know what I'm talking about? They're so sweet. They're so kind. As a matter of fact, are there any elementary teachers in the house right now so we can honor you? There's one here. Any other? A couple here. Give them a hand. Give them a hand. Give them a hand. They're like parents. They're so sweet and so kind. And I can remember coming back from vacation at grandma's house, and they'd be like, so sweetheart, to all the children. How was your vacation? And they go to each and every kid. I'm like, don't call me. Don't call me. Don't call me. And they go to the person to my right, and they'd say, how was your vacation? And say, it was wonderful. I got to hang out with Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse and Pluto and Donald Duck and, and Daisy. I'm like, did their parents have a plug with Walt Disney? They went to Disney and Epcot and Hollywood Studios and all this. And then she goes, that's fantastic, as only an elementary teacher could. And then I'm like, don't pick me, don't pick me, don't pick me. And then she goes, the person on my left. And she's like, sweetheart, how was your vacation? And the kid would say, it was wonderful. We had a family reunion in the Turks and Caicos and we... We swam with dolphins, and we swam with pigs. Anybody ever swim with a pig in here? Is that a thing? Swam with pigs and dolphins. And then she says, one more, one more. I'm like, don't pick me, don't pick me, don't pick me. Carlos, how was your summer vacation? I said, well, hang out. I hung out in South Jersey on 36th Street and Westfield Avenue with Uncle Bill at the corner store. Probably saw a couple things I can't say here in our classroom, And she goes, okay, moving right on, moving right on, (laughs) moving right on. I just didn't know, you know. Anybody else, mom and dad, tell you that that was summer vacation, going to your grandparents' house? Anybody else get fooled by that one? But every summer, we would make the trek from Florida to South Jersey on this family vacation. And uh, it was so interesting because coming or going, you're you're going through a lot of travel, right? A A lot of hours. And undoubtedly, whether it's the Beltway or somewhere around there, you find yourself hitting a fork in the road, some kind of change of traffic pattern, some type of accident, some type of roadblock, and you've got to maneuver and go different ways and, and find what my dad would call shortcuts. Anybody's dad had shortcuts? My daughter, she calls them long cuts. But he would find shortcuts, or, 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 and we knew when we were getting lost. See, back in the day, do you know that anything was talking back back in the day? Do you know what I'm saying? Like you couldn't just speak and voice your opinion. That was, that was talking back, voicing your opinion. And so we couldn't voice our opinion from the back of the celebrity station wagon. No way. No way. What happened? So we look at each other, and, and you, you, you'd see the cues and the clues. When dad would start to scratch his head, when he'd pull into the right lane and ask mom for the mat from the glove compartment, we look at each other and say, hey, guys, we're going in extra innings. 
And this is this ride's going to take a lot longer than we we thought it was. And and these were difficult moments. If you can remember, uh, many of us children from the 80s, we have a lot of effects from these moments and from these times because. You know, the helicopter parents like we all are today, it seems, is when our kids were on road trips and they say, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. Like, sweetheart, we just stopped at the gas station. But you know what? Three more exits and we'll stop again. There'll be a Bucky's coming up and we'll stop again, even though we just stopped. <laughs> oh, in the 80s, when we said, hey, I got to go pee. They said, we already stopped at a gas station three hours ago. <laughs> I can remember vividly. We're in Virginia. I said, I got to pee bad. And my parents said, where were you when we stopped at the gas station? I said, I was sleeping. They said, that's not our problem. These dang station wagons held gas, all right? I said, I got to pee. And they said, well, maybe we'll stop at, I don't know, south of the border. I asked my sister, I said, where's south of the border? She said, I'm sorry, that's, that's South Carolina. I said, but we're in Virginia right now. And so for many of us walking around with bladder damage and bladder issues, I see you, I know you, I feel you, and there's a certain fraternity that we are a part of if you grew up in these spaces going on vacation in the summer because we didn't just get to stop when we wanted to. You laugh, but the pain is real. And now I find myself in the place of my parents. I've got my own children. I've got three daughters in whom I'm well-pleased. And I'm so thankful for their lives. And and now every single summer, I don't know how much they enjoy it, but I do, I get to take them on on my own personal brand of damaging their bladder. I mean, family vacation. And we get to go and and plan trips and go places and spaces. And and I tell all the dad jokes that my heart can handle, and they have to listen because they can't get out. They think their headphones work, but then I say, hey, headphones out, let's talk. And so we'll go someplace. And last summer, we went down to the parks. And, and it's so interesting because you ever find yourself like more like your parent than you're willing to admit? You ever find yourself like that? More times than not, I get lost. I don't know how. It's like a gift to not have a sense of direction. It's just a gifting that I have. It comes natural. But in my defense, you tell me how many times they're going to change I-4 West and I-4 East. How many times are there going to be different, path, different traffic patterns? They change it, in my opinion, more frequently than I like to. And see, back in the day, you could get lost as a dad and no one would blow your spot up. Now, you know who blows your spot up? Waze app. Rerouting. Rerouting. No, no, we're not rerouting. You turn it down and you put the volume down or, or Google Maps. No, I'm not lost, girls. They changed the traffic patterns and it hasn't updated yet in the app. No, we're... We're not lost, but they, they know my games. They know my lies at this point. They say, Mom, are we lost? And Courtney, she's too pure to lie, so she says, yes, girls, we're lost again. <laughs> but, Mom, we were just here last summer. Yes, girls, we were just here last summer. In my defense, and many of my friends can tell you this, Joe, Glenn, uh, they don't teach you land awareness in Bible college. They teach you one thing, where east is. That's all they teach you. North and west and south is very problematic for me. So anywhere I'm at, I know where east is. It's right that way. It's where Daniel opened his window and prayed to Jerusalem, and, and so did Jesus. You're around some guys, and you'll hear them. They'll, they'll brag about their, their awareness of where they are, and it's kind of funny because they'll say things like, you drop me out of a plane anywhere. My sense of direction is so good, I'll find my way home. And, and for me, I'd be like, you drop me out of a plane, you'll never see me again. <laughs> Let me just be honest with you. Bye, you dropped me out of a plane. We're not going to see each other ever again. But I want to talk to you today around this thought, around this understanding of, of a fork in the road and how we're beginning to take now a bit of a progression. And so in our Resurrection Sunday message, we began to see how the Lord would use gardens. And he used gardens for the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Resurrection. And now he's going to begin to use something that we see developed in the scripture called roads. And in these roads, there's going to be fork in the roads. And there's going to be choices of where to go and, and how to make those choices. And we're going to be in the book of Luke. And so you can open your Bible to Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. But if you weren't with us two weeks ago, where we picked up, and, and I'll put the chart on the screen here so you can see part one of the chart. 
the 40 days we're going to work into Jesus ascending back to heaven. But you see that our first week we, we handled and unpacked Mary Magdalene and her visit with the Lord and, and how she, watched this, becomes the very first evangelist. How cool is that? That she's the first one with that title. That she told the world that the Lord is no longer dead. He is resurrected indeed. And what's so interesting in this time is that the word of a woman could not be used as permissible evidence in the court of law for Romans or Jews. So what did Jesus do? I'm about to elevate her testimony. She's the evangelist. And so we unpacked what that looked like. And he says, also tell my disciples and Peter. And so we unpacked that he's, he's doing things in a very interesting way on Resurrection Sunday. He's talking to people and he's talking about people that typically you wouldn't think they'd be significant in the resurrection story. And that's going to continue here today. And so we come to this place of what we would see as a fork in the road. I'm going to draw your attention as we look at post-resurrected Jesus, as we look at the New Testament after Jesus resurrects, after the four Gospels, what you're going to see in the book of Acts and moving forward is the Lord's going to start to use not gardens, but something called a road. It's very interesting. Remember, every single word in your Bible is for sitting and marinating and ruminating over. Like, what is God saying? What is he doing? He uses nothing by chance or by accident. The Romans built hundreds of thousands of roads in this time in the world so they can get their armies back and forth and, and transfer goods. But how many of you know what, the, what, 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 what systems the world use, will build or use? God will use it for his kingdom and for his glory. And so God begins to use roads, and it's very interesting. We're going to talk today about the road to Emmaus, but if you keep reading your Bible to the right, you're going to read about the road to Gaza when Philip meets an Ethiopian eunuch. You're going to read about the road to Damascus when Paul or Saul meets the Lord and then eventually becomes Paul. You're going to start reading about these roads because you're going to see a theme. God wants us to pay attention not just to the finish line, but to the journey into the process of it all. It's going to be really interesting. And so I want to start here our time today in Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. This is going to be a good time. It says this, now that same day, two of them are going to a village called what? Emmaus. This is where our fork in the road begins. About seven miles from Jerusalem, and this is going to be north from Jerusalem. And so we're brought into this story, and what you're going to unpack, what you're going to see, there's going to be two travelers, one called Cleopas. We don't get the name of the other one. Some scholars would say it's a friend. Others would say it's his wife. I'm just going to call her Mrs. Cleopas today so we have some context, okay? And so you're like, oh, what's that name, Cleopas? It's a kind of a, 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 a name that you don't really see or hear. We never hear it again in the Bible before or after. It's the male version of Cleopatra. Have you heard this younger generation and the names they're making up for their kids? Have you heard them? Right? You don't know if it's their kid or their pet. You don't know that, right? So if you're looking for a name today, Cleopas is available. It's, 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 I haven't heard that one yet. It's a new one. It's trendy. Let's see if that works. But these two travelers, they're, they're going along, and, and what happens here is that there's a lot that's not seen, but there's a lot that we know. Here's how we know. These two travelers that we're about to unpack in Luke 24, they are not apostles, but they're disciples. What is a disciple? An apprentice of someone. So they're part of the crew. They're part of the group. They're part of the people selling half of their possessions and following Jesus. They're part of the people who are going to make the pilgrimage for Passover. They're part of the people who are around Jesus and the disciples and watching miracles, listening to the teaching and preaching of Jesus. So they're part of that group. They're part of that crew. And so now they're at a fork in the road, and they're supposed to maintain in Jerusalem like everybody else, even though the disciples are locked behind closed doors in the upper room, they've stayed in Jerusalem. These two travelers, these two disciples of Jesus, with the fork in the road, they've chosen to do what? Go back. Even though Jesus said to stay, even though he made it very clear in his ministry, even though all the scriptures say that he had to die but would resurrect, they came to a space where they chose to go back to the familiar, back to the common. You know, it's interesting because even though some ways, habits, and behaviors and relationships are toxic and dysfunctional, we still find our way gravitating back towards those things, don't we? It's the strangest thing. And they find themselves not waiting in Jerusalem, but going back to Emmaus. And to get to Emmaus, there was a road. And to get to Emmaus, there was seven miles in between them. And they decided to make this trek. And so as they're making this trek and as we read the story, I need you to see this story as a difficult moment in life. 
Most of us have read this story, The Road to Emmaus, and, and, and it's, it's kind of talked about tongue-in-cheek because of the Lord's visitation and all that. But this is nothing to joke about. This is nothing to be tongue-in-cheek about and, 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 and crack jokes about it and, and just try to see you know, how we can make this funny and interactive and, and use our personalities. No, 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 no. Let me bring you in. As we get to read this, let me bring you in on what's happening right now. They have just experienced the worst 72 hours of their life. They came into the city, as everyone did. They watched Jesus come through the procession and wave palm branches. Hosanna, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord. In their mind, they're thinking Jesus is going to be this military, political general, going to overthrow Rome, restore Israel. Because of human frailties, we always think God moves through politics. We always think that. Then and now, we always think that's our way. And Jesus says, no, I come to liberate the soul. So they're watching this. Jesus can do all these great things. They're probably at the temple when Jesus flips tables over. Like, oh, Jesus is about to, it's about to go down. He's flipping tables. He's about to take over Israel in a day or two. But then they're somewhere in the vicinity when he's betrayed with a kiss by Judas and for 30 pieces of silver, the same price for a slave. And then they're hearing about the six courts, three Roman and three Jewish courts. They're like, what is happening? And then they're in the vicinity when Jesus is, is sent to the whipping posts and he's whipped. And when he's whipped, he doesn't just have marks. Parts of his flesh are removed from his body. And they watch his anemic body shaking, carrying across all the way to Calvary and Golgotha. And, and what's interesting is that they're going back to Emmaus and the last 72 hours of their life, I don't think they ate and I don't think they've slept. How in the world would you eat when you, in the back of your mind, could hear the dull sound of a nail being pierced through flesh into a wooden Roman cross, how could you eat? I imagine every time they went to close their eyes, they could hear the hoarse voice of Jesus crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so this is the two travelers we're going to talk about today. This is the fork in the road. It's been the worst moments of their life. And right now, maybe you'll think through the worst moments of your life. I can think about some of the worst moments of my life. I can remember the moment when I got the call or my family got the call that my grandmother had leukemia and she had six months to live. How do you get prepared for that one? I can remember the call when my grandfather was found dead by himself in a house in Puerto Rico. No warning. I can remember what was supposed to be a joyous occasion, us giving birth to our second daughter, Bethany, and the doctor said he wasn't sure if either one was going to make it out because of a placenta abruption. I need you to get into the mindset of these travelers on the road right now. They have just lost their Jesus. They have lost their faith, their shipwrecked. Everything they hoped for, everything they believed for is now not what they thought it was. And so now we pick up in the scripture after they are at their fork in the road and they decide to go north back towards Emmaus. Verse 14 says this, and they were talking with each other, this is Cleopas and Mrs. Cleopas, about everything that had happened. And as they talk and discuss these things with each other, and so what we're seeing is they're processing in real time. I don't know how long this trip is going to take them. It's seven miles, but when you're down, when you're depressed, when you're hurt, when you're actively going through the stages of grief, we don't know what this trip feels like. We don't know what their disposition is. We just know they're hurting and they're, they're talking through everything. I'm sure looking at each other like, do you even know what just happened the last 72 hours? Like, is this real life? Have you been there? Is this real life? Like, are, are we just, if I didn't have an eyewitness, I wouldn't have thought this was real life. And as they're processing, and as no doubt there's tears, and, and there's hurt, and there's pain, and, and, and they feel forsaken by all, and, and they could be sitting with the other disciples and the other followers, but they, they get isolated because every time hurt, pain, and grief comes, you know what the enemy wants you to do? He wants you to isolate. He wants you to go away from where there's covering and go away from the temple and the house of God where there's protection. So they're isolating. They're walking away from Jerusalem. They're going away from where they should maintain. And they think, watch this, they think their tears are uncounted. They think nobody gets them. They think they're hurt all by themselves. They think God's nowhere to be present. That Jesus who promised never leave and forsake us, where is he now? 
And someone in here today and someone watching online today, you feel the same way right now. Where is he now that I need him? Because talk is cheap. Scripture feels cheap sometimes, but in the moment, I need him now. Continue reading. Verse 15 goes on to say, the second part says, guess who shows up? Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Let me give you context. He just resurrected from the dead that morning. What is he doing on an obscure obscure road called Emmaus with two obscure passengers or travelers that we never hear about? What in the world is he doing? But they were kept from recognizing him. Verse 16 might free someone today, might be all the encouragement you need that sometimes Jesus is right beside you and you don't even recognize he's there. Sometimes the provision is right there. Sometimes the strength is right there. Sometimes he is right there and you don't even know. What they didn't know is that he was counting the tears. What they didn't know, he overheard every single hurt and every single pain. He's behind them. He shows up right next to them. He was walking behind you and I the entire time. Entire time. And so it it says that they were kept from recognizing him. And just because you can't recognize Jesus in this season of your life, can I help you? It doesn't mean he's not there. Just because you don't get the the warm and and fuzzies and the tinglies and the warm and snugglies doesn't mean he's not there. Verse 17, this is Jesus. He asked them, what are you discussing together today as you walk along? Their faces downcast. They stood still and their faces downcast. It's like they can't even fake like they're okay. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're screaming at your kids and then someone calls on the phone like, hey, how are you? What's going on? And, but then the kids are still screaming and crying in the background. Like, they can't even fake it. Like, yeah, but your kids are screaming oh, be, and crying. Oh, we've been praying and we've been seeking God's face. And it's just been a real intimate time with the Lord. No, you've been, you've been yelling at your kids and they're, they're screaming and crying now, right? They can't even play it off. Their faces are downcast and they're sad and they're depressed. And they're angry and they are grieving right now. It has been the worst moments of their life. And even though Jesus asked a question, their face are downcast, not even trying to play it off. Verse 18 says, one of them named Cleopas, here's our character introduced, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? Can you guys feel the tension? A bit of an attitude? Who are you? What are you? Why are you talking to me? And do you not know what's going on? The uproar right behind us, the millions in Jerusalem who made the pilgrimage, do you not know what's going on? And only Jesus could do this in verse 19. He says, what things, he asked. What things? You see, when you begin to mature in your walk, here's something you begin to find about Jesus. The closer you get to him, he doesn't just give you the answer. He answers a question with a question. This is the trademark of Jesus. Let me help you if you're growing in your faith. Whenever you're seeking God, whenever you're praying, you're fasting, you're cutting away destructive and toxic people and habits and behaviors and and, and putting your mind in a better space and your life in a better space and your marriage in a better space. Whenever you get to those places and you approach Jesus and you approach God in prayer, you know what happens? You ask questions, he asks questions right back. Lord, how long will I be single? How long will I tarry without a wedding band? How long will I be in this space? And you'll wait and you'll wait and it won't be like the movies. You won't get it right there. It won't be like the scripture, like between a couple chapters might be years. It won't be like next page. You'll wait and you'll wait and then the Lord will just, while you're driving, while you're blow drying your hair, while you're brushing your teeth, very unspiritual things, he'll say, how long will you keep settling for Mr. and Mrs. right now? How long will you keep not living a holy life? How long will you not surrender your relationships and your sexuality to me? He'll, he'll, he'll ask you those questions. You'll be like, oh, so it's not just a quick answer. It's a checking my heart and checking my life. How long will you want the things that you see on social media and you see in the movies instead of what I show you in my word? How long will you know more about dating sites and, and putting yourself out there in profiles than you know what my word says? Do you see how awkward that gets? And how awkward it was there in that moment, he answers a question with a question. It's, it's the strangest thing. When you want a financial breakthrough in your life or a breakthrough in your career, and you're saying, God, I'm doing all the right things, I'm checking all the right boxes, 
Um, I've been at church every Sunday in April. I bit my tongue three times with my wife. The other three times, she had it coming. But I bit my tongue three times this month. And I've been to church every, every one in April, Lord. When will you make a move in my career and in my finances? And he won't answer that same day. No, no, no. That's not his, that's not his day. That's not his way. He'll answer in the most monotonous of tasks, doing laundry, mowing the grass. Right? And he'll say, well, when are you going to surrender your marriage to me? When are you going to stop thinking that just because you're a manager at work, you come home and manage her? I got that one one time. It felt just like that. It hurt real bad. It hurt real bad. When are you going to do what my word says in Ephesians to submit yourself? When are you going to honor the scripture? And I wasn't asking all that, God. I just want you to, I just want you to move in, in, in my life and, and I just want you to move in my finances. And, and then he'll come back with another question. When are you going to be faithful in your finances to me? When are you going to be faithful in the tithe and the offering? I wasn't asking that, God. I just, I just want to know when you're going to like, give me a lot of money and give me a, a career and a title. And he says, I know what you're asking, but I want to ask you a question as well. And so Jesus has this trait about him where he asks a question with a question. Have you been there? And we see this here. Jesus says what things in verse 19? And they say about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, past tense. Powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers, yeah, they handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. They killed everything. They took my faith. They took my joy. They took my peace and they nailed it to a Roman cross. But we had hoped, past tense once again, that he was the one that was going to do what? Redeem Israel. We had hoped he was this political general warrior king and they got a suffering servant. They got a Passover lamb. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us, and they went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. They have the testimony of the women, but they don't believe it because they're going back to Emmaus. Like you were just told, but because the testimony of a woman was not believed, Jesus is going to choose to elevate that here really quickly. See, you and I, we get fixated on the destination. But did you notice Jesus didn't show up at the end of the road to Emmaus? He showed up at the beginning. He showed up in the journey. See, you and I, we invest so much time on God, do this. God, get me here. God, I want to accomplish this. God, I want to do this. We spend so much time bragging about our degrees and didn't talk about that C's got degrees. Right? You don't talk about the GPA. We spend so much time talking about our titles, but don't talk about the jobs we got fired from. We spend so much time talking about how many years we got married, but we don't talk about how many times we've thought about filing some papers for divorce. <laughs> we talk about our, our kids and our grandkids, but don't talk about the nights that we found out that they snuck out at night. Do, do you see how we do this? We, we talk about the destination, but we never talk about the journey. You know why? Because I'm more interested in how we look to people instead of our testimony. That's the world we live in. That's the culture we live in. And Jesus, he doesn't show up at the end where it's nice and pretty and the bow's all tied around. And you don't, some of you know the end of the story. But if you don't know the end of the story, he doesn't show up at the end. He shows up in the middle. The hard space. They're actively going through grieving. They're actively walking these seven miles, and they're just walking and walking. He's showing up, and they probably got a cramp in their side. He's showing up, and they've got bloodshot eyes, and he's showing up. They've got bags in their eyes. He's showing up, and they've lost their faith. He shows up in the muck, in the mire. He shows up before your makeup is fixed. He shows up before the kids are behaved. He shows up before the bills are paid. He shows up when you have more debt than you know what to do with. He shows up at the worst moments. Why? Because there's so something in the journey we're supposed to learn about this road to Emmaus. There's something a garden couldn't teach us that a road can teach us. There's something about that you can't rush this. It's a process. And there's something that Jesus shows as he starts up on this journey with them. And, and I don't know, maybe you and I should start praying more about the journey than the finish line. 
Maybe we should invest more hours and more time with give us this day our daily bread. Maybe we should start praying and processing the scripture that says he is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. That has nothing to do with the finish line. That has everything to do with the journey and where God is leading and where he is taking us. And what does your journey look like? Not in five or 10 or 15 years, because you all have those game plans, right? But today in this week, how is he leading? How is he guiding? And how is he directing? We don't know what mile Jesus shows up. I like to think mile maybe one or two because he had a lot to process with them. But he does not show up at the end. He shows up in the middle. And right now, if you feel like your life is further back than you like it to be or you should have already arrived, do you know what that means? That means Jesus is there on the journey with you. He needs time to process with you. He needs time to teach and encourage you. We're also told here in the scripture that they are kept from recognizing him, which seems kind of strange. But what we find out, they're kept from recognizing him so they will say exactly what's on their mind. See, this thing that we've created in our culture is that we are not transparent. We are fake. We are superficial. We are so, so just just, just, just superficial to where the old testimony service couldn't even be done anymore because we don't talk about that stuff anymore. Anybody remember those days? And I mean, yeah, you had a few crazy people, but man, you had some testimonies of God delivering and strengthening and transforming. And you left a Saturday night hour of power. That's old school. Like, man, if God did it for for him, he can do it for me. If God did it for her, he can do it for me. And and you, you, you thought through that and you processed through that. Jesus wanted exactly what they felt. He wanted all the stages of grief. He wanted all the hurt, all the pain. And as he said, what's going on? We just read it. They vomited everything. They didn't hold anything back. Nothing was left to the imagination. They, they started off with saying is that, with, with, are you the only one? Are you the only idiot around here that doesn't know what's going on behind us? The millions that have been unpacked and upheaved based on what happened to Jesus? And they go on to relegate Jesus to just a prophet. He was like John the Baptist or Elijah, powerful in word and deed. No, I'm sorry, he's Messiah. He foretold these things to come. Their faith is shipwrecked. Their heart is destroyed. They're depressed. They're in agony. They're hurting. They're suffering. Have you been there? They go on to admit losing hope, not once, but twice. We had hoped he was going to deliver Israel. We had hoped he was the promise. We had hoped he was going to be there for us. We had hoped he's no longer relevant. Are you hearing what they're saying? They lose their faith based off of, watch this, their circumstances. Are you kidding me? They begin to process their relationship with God through the lens of the road to Emmaus instead of the lens of the word of God. They begin to process their pain through the lens of the road to Emmaus instead of the lens of the word of God. Are you processing your pain and your hardship and your struggles and your tension in your life? Are you processing that based on the lens of what you're going through or based on the lens of the word of God? It's a big difference. It's a big difference. And why we gather every Sunday, why we have sundown tomorrow night, why we have midweek small groups, why we do serving and outreach, do you know why? Because you and I, the human frailty, we forget very easily. The disciples and all those who saw all the great things that Jesus did and all the promises, do you know where they all are? Hiding. Locked away. Everyone but those who killed Jesus seemed to forget that he was going to resurrect. Do you remember the chief priests go and they, they, they put some guards around the tomb? They all forgot the promises of God. And so do you know why you're here today? Not just because you look good, because you do look good. You're here today because you got to remind each other. You have to remind each other of the goodness of God. Hebrews says, don't forsake the gathering of believers. Why? Because we forget. Let one Sunday go by and we forget God's promises. Let two Sundays go by on vacation. We don't even know if we're saved anymore. Three Sundays go by, we're about to leave our marriage and our kids. We are just done. Four Sundays go by, midlife crisis. I no longer want to be an accountant. I want to sell motorcycles and Vespas. Like, we just lose our mind. And so that's why there's a habit of weekly gathering. 
That's why the Bible talks about accountability and mentorship. That's why you and I weren't meant to do life alone. Do you know why? Even God is recognized in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's recognized in community and accountability. You and I can't sacrifice these sacred gatherings. We remind each other, no, his promises are true. No, no, what he started, he will complete in your life and my life. This is why we gather, because when we don't gather, when we go through things like this, we'll just head north to Emmaus. We'll go back to dysfunction and back to hurt and back to pain. We'll go back to the things that we have no business going back to. The conversation continues, and it gets, it gets really good. Because Jesus, he lets them unpack their heart, lets them pack their mind and their soul. He lets them just get everything off their chest. Now it's time for Jesus to talk. Now it's time for him to come on the microphone and him to speak to them. And so verse 25 says this. He said to them, speaking about Jesus, he said, How foolish are you and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I love this. I love this. I love this. You have just met direct Jesus. Have you met him? He said, "This is nonsense." Anybody got people like that in their life? This is this is foolishness. I got a few mentors like that in my life. They just shoot me straight and call me a baby. Stop whining. Put on your big boy pants, right? Like, pull it together. He says, how foolish. I love this because Jesus doesn't cut them a break for a couple different reasons. You know, in our society, you hear people say this. I hear people in my family say this and friends say this. They say, you know what? I'm a good person, and that's good enough. Who told you that? Where does that come from? Not the word of God. I'm a good person. He doesn't cut them a break, watch this, because the scripture's hard to read or it's old stuff or it's old language. Do you not know as, as this conversation is happening, watch this, they are a thousand years removed from the writings of David. That's old stuff. That's old language. Do you not know as they're reading through this, they are 1,500 years removed from Moses? Do you not know as they're reading this, they're almost 2,000 years removed from the writings of Abraham? They have the same excuses we have. It's old stuff. It's hard to understand. It's not very entertaining. There's a whole lot of other things going on. And not for one moment do we see here that Jesus cut them a break and say, you know what? You guys don't even have the printing press yet. You know what? You guys don't even have Bibles in your home because at this point, Scrolls were kept in the temple, and when you would go to synagogue, when you go to temple, you would celebrate the Sabbath, you would go there and they'd read it to you. They'd unroll the scroll and they'd read it to you. He says, you know what? You guys have to memorize the scripture. I'm going to cut you a break. He says, no, this is foolish. Because in every good Jewish home, here's how they were raised. The parents, as a, chi- as, as a child, you would memorize the scripture because you didn't have it at home. You'd memorize the scriptures, and as you grew up, you would tell your children the scripture, and then they would memorize it. And generation after generation after generation, this is how you'd read your Bible. You'd gather at the table, and you tell a story. Anybody glad we're not in that generation? <laughs> memorizing Torah, memorizing the books of the law, memorizing Leviticus. Are you kidding me right now? And he says, you have no excuse to know the word and to not walk it out. He says, you have no excuse. that You are foolish to know the word of God that when it comes time to apply it, not apply it. And you and I live in a day and age where more than any other generation, think about this, from the moment of Adam and Eve being born, you and I in our generation, we have the most access. Someone say the most access. The most access access to the word of God, and you and I live in the most biblically illiterate generation. How in the world is that possible? Right now on your phone, you can download an app, you can Google any version of the Bible, any scripture, it'll pop right up, and yet we read the Bible the least of any generation ever. You know what Jesus would call that? Foolish. He would say, you think you're going to get a pass because you're busy? Because you're not really into reading? Reading's not your thing? But watch this, watch this. 
Ask a guy about his favorite golfer, and he'll rattle off every one of his tournaments this year. Oh, so you got some things. Or ask a lady about her grandkids, and she'll tell you about her kids' birthday parties from 1983. <laughs> right? Or ask a student about the latest, latest TikTok trends, or latest fashion, or, or what you're supposed to be wearing, and they'll rattle off every season and every kind of Jordan and every kind of, like, hold on, hold on, hold on. So can, we can remember what's important to us. We can apply ourselves to what we think matters in our life. But with the word of God, we just say, yeah, it's kind of old and it's kind of hard to understand. And there's some these and there's some vows. And like we think of everything under the sun. And Jesus, when it comes time to get his opinion on the matter, he says, how foolish. But not just foolish, how dangerous. How dangerous it is to have access with no application. Oh, my gosh. Someone needs to hear this. That we have so much access to the word of God through church, through social media, through YouTube, through, through Bible apps, through everything else. We have all this access, but a little to no application. And if we have this conversation with Jesus, he would say, that would not be wise to do. He said, you would be in a place where you might find yourself in a place you don't want to be. Because not knowing the word of God, watch this, how do you know how to live for God? How do you know how to make wise decisions? How do you know how to pray and process? How do you know the proper ways to walk in your future? This is for single. This is for marriage. This is for empty nester. No matter where you are, you could be 16 or you could be 60. How do you know what to do in your life without the word of God? Based off of your experience? Based off your bias and your leans? See how dangerous that road is? And Jesus says, here is the key. You know, if, if you like me and you love sports, I love every sport. I'm talking, I know the athletes. I know their names. I know their salary bonuses. I know their height, their weight. I know their colleges. Anybody watch the NFL draft? It's kind of like a sacred space for me. No, seriously. I know how long I've been friends with people based on what draft we watched together. A good friend of, a good friend of mine named Raul, we watched the 1996 draft together 27 years ago. Me and him were friends, and that's what solidified our friendship. We watched the draft together, right? And so a lot of us growing up kids, like, we think our athletes are our heroes, right? And you find out they're really not. But my entire life, I've had one hero and one hero alone. Been consistent since I was a kid. One hero and one hero alone. It's going to sound strange to you. It doesn't have all the heroic characteristics you're looking for, but it's been my father. Let me tell you why. He's never gone to prestigious university. He's never traveled anywhere exotic. He's never led a big multi-billion dollar company. He's never made a lot of money. He's never driven anything nice. He's never been on a big stage. He's never been on, on YouTube videos, nothing. But I've watched him since I was a kid, the way that he knows the word of God and the way that he walks it out and the way that he lives it. I have watched him since a kid be so faithful and so obedient. And I've always said in my heart, I want to be just like that. Whatever it takes, I want to be just like that. I watched him around Christmas time pick up extra jobs for the family so he could do some Christmas stuff and get us our first Nintendo, a very holy pastime. I watched the way that he lived for the Lord, and I watched the way that he would evangelize the kingdom and the gospel. And I said, that's exactly what I want to be and what I want to look like. We would have family come over, and anybody have the unsaved family? And they bring over with them all their habits and all their behaviors and all their pastimes. I'll leave it at that. And get a little out of hand with all their pastimes. And, and they would come over. He would say, anybody can come over. But I would watch him. The unsaved ones would go to the kitchen. And that was his mission field, the kitchen. Because they would walk in the kitchen. And i said, oh, it's over. It's about to go down. They walked into the kitchen. They would go and get a drink or something to eat. And he would just kind of shimmy over to the kitchen and have him have a seat at the table, he would go in. Oh, with the goodness of God and the mercies. And he would talk about his testimony and how God saved him from South Jersey and, and drug usage and, and hurt and pain, uh, orphaned at 12 years old. Like He would just go on and on and on. And you could see some of them like all in, locked in. And others, like their eyes kind of like up and down and shifting and like, looking for their way to get out. Like, honey, did you call me? He's like, no, I didn't hear anybody call you. No, I didn't hear anybody. Some people say I have to go to the bathroom. Like, they try to find ways to get out of this evangelistic moment because he was presenting the gospel to them. You know what's sad? Some of those people have died and never received Jesus. They had their chance in that kitchen. They were, they were cornered. I, I watched them get boxed in. They had no choice. They had to hear the gospel. And some did take to the message and surrender. In front of this Bible, this is actually his Bible. I stole it when I was 12. No true story. I got saved. Um, he happened to be preaching and teaching that day. And I said, hey, dad, I don't have a Bible. I'm saved. 
I think I need to start reading it. So I just grabbed his Bible, his out of his study, and I never gave it back. And so that was December 3rd, 1995, and here it is. But in the front of this Bible, he'd write the names of our family members who he boxed in the kitchen that got saved, and they're still in there. And so I'm saying that because there's this evangelistic approach. There's this understanding that Jesus says, if we have the word of God, we should know the word of God. And it can't just be that book, and it can't just be that boring thing. It can't just be, will this preacher stop talking about the word of God? No, the word of God is everything. There's a reason the Bible calls it a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. There's a reason that Jesus literally is the word revealed. You don't know Jesus without the word of God and, 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 and the fullness of it. And so this is what we're finding Jesus doing. He's not giving them a break. He's not cutting them a deal. He's not saying, you know what? It doesn't matter that much. And it goes on to say that he told them about all the prophets. He needed all seven miles. He says he started with Moses and he went all the way through. I love it. I love it. My guess is he, he spoke about some scriptures, maybe in, in Genesis chapter 3, talked about where sin first started and the first sacrificial lamb had to be slain and, and the priestly garments put on Adam and Eve. I'm guessing he stopped somewhere in Exodus and talked about the blameless lamb that had to be chosen. Like Jesus schools them in the scripture in a loving way, in a way that's uplifting, in a way that's encouraging. And we know that because it goes on to say this in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. And watch verse 29. Based off that whole conversation he just had with them, it says, but they urged him strong to what? He just called them foolish. He just preached and taught their ear off for seven miles. There was no bathroom to get away from. They could not. Jesus just got them in the kitchen. He boxed them in. He said, I'll walk with you. But what we find is that he wasn't condescending, he was uplifting. He was life-giving. The opposite of many of us Christians today. We're going to heaven and everybody else is going to hell. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't read that. Did you guys read that? I, I didn't read that. I didn't read about their alternative lifestyles. I mean, he gave them the love of God. He gave them the scriptures. Why? Because he knew the scripture. He gave them the scripture. And they get to, to the end of the, of the road, not to quote boys to men, but they get to the end of the road and we are told that they say, can you stay? And if you keep reading the scripture, they don't even put time limits on it. They don't even say, hey, can you stay for a couple hours for the night? They just say, whatever you've been giving us, can you give us more? Can you continue to encourage our heart and our soul? Can you continue to show us the ways of God and the word of God? Can you stay? I'm reminded of some of those people in the kitchen with my dad, not very many, but few would say, can we talk more about this tomorrow? Like, can I, can I go to your church? Can I meet the God who, who you know? They came in contact with this life-giving message, this evangelistic message, and they said, can you please stay? They urged him to stay. They're at another fork in the road, and, and this fork, they make the right choice. Although Jesus concealed you, he can't conceal his spirit. He can't conceal the word of God. He can't conceal his love for the things of God and his love for people. You can't conceal that. And that draws them and that woos them to the things of God. And we pick up in the scripture in verse 30 as Jesus walks in their house. Well, look at the first place he makes his way to. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And began to give it to them. Did you see what it all starts with? The table. We've taught our families at length in this church about the table, the importance of the table. That it's not just an inanimate object. It's a place where God meets his people. It's a place where you're supposed to gather with, if you're single, friends, family, if you're married, your spouse, your children, and not just eat a meal, but invite the presence of God into that space. We have taught at length in our church. If you attend our church, you're not inviting God to your table. I don't know what to say other than I'm praying a spirit of diarrhea over your whole home (laughs) until you say, what is going on with us? And you get to the table. At least once a week, my family would choose to do it on Friday in the evenings. But you would gather at the table and just have some bread and have some juice and talk about the goodness of God and his sacrifice and his love. It all begins where? At the table. He could have talked about this on the front porch. They could have sat and reclined somewhere else. But he says, no, we're going to get to the table. And it says he gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Verse 31 says, 
Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And watch this. He disappeared from their sight. A little bit of insight to what heaven's like. That resurrected body. You just come and go as you please. Pretty neat. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within while, we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? They said the, the way he loved the word of God, the way he loved us with the word of God, the way he wasn't afraid to call us out and call us foolish, the way he walked with us and talked with us, the way he didn't hurry us on the road, the way he just came up beside us, even though we didn't honor him, even though we actually disrespected him, even though we didn't give him his glory or his honor. Were our hearts not burning on the inside of us? As he opened the scripture to us, they got up and returned at once and said to Jerusalem. Now the seven mile journey has turned to a 14 mile journey. And they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. We do believe the women now. The Lord has risen, has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he did what? Broke the bread. It starts at the table, but then is revealed with the breaking of the bread. I don't know if you caught that or not, but Jesus, that was not his house. But he takes the place of leadership. I spoke to a Jewish scholar this week, and that would have been very inappropriate then and today. You don't just walk into a Jewish home and grab the bread and break it and like, yeah, this is, this is my thing to pray over. This is my time to bless this. No, 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 no. Who are you? What authority do you have? But I want, to, I want you to see the fork in the road for them. I want you to see that as the word was poured over them, I want you to see that they were beginning to make a different choice than got them to Emmaus. They heard the word and they responded to the word. They wanted the word. It is the word that got Jesus into that room with them and allowed him to break the bread. It was beautiful. (laughs) There's so many things as I conclude this message that I've got to somehow convey to you, but many of us, we say things like, I finally found God, or I ran to God, or I chased him down, and and all these things. And, and, And truth be told, from my life and maybe yours, maybe you and I didn't chase God down. Maybe like Jesus, he chased us down on the road to Emmaus. I don't think in my sin and in my shame, I don't think I was chasing after him. I think I had my own road to a mess at different seasons of my life. And when you grow up in church, that's a hurtful thing to say, that you know him, you still walk away from him. That's a hurtful and shameful thing to say, but it's true. And he, he found me on the road to a mess. He came from behind and he found me. I want to show you the kind of Jesus, because I don't know if you've been introduced to the one that will chase you down in your sin. The one that will find you in your brokenness. The one on your worst days will not avoid you, but actually find you. I want to talk to a person here today that you feel so obscure. You feel so hidden. You feel so overlooked. You feel like you're the least of the least. You feel like you're the stone that the builders rejected. You fit perfectly in the plan of Jesus. Because these two travelers, we never hear from them before or after, but they're good enough to be included in the resurrection story of Jesus. No one was looking for them except for who? That's a big deal. If you feel overlooked, you feel overshadowed, you feel like you haven't got your break yet, you might be right where you need to be for Jesus to find you and to use you and to do great things in your life. And for the other person here today that you've been praying and you've been seeking God and you're trying this out, this next level of faith, or you're trying out the faith in Jesus, you're you're, you're doing all that you can to find Jesus, but you're looking ahead of you and you can't find him. You're looking to your left and you can't find him. You're looking to your right and you can't find him, but you can't figure this out because you're trying everything you know to try. What we find is that he wasn't in front of them. He wasn't to their left. He wasn't to their right. Where was he? The whole time. And see, if you know scripture, scripture will remind you of this. Isaiah 52 tells us this. It says, for the Lord will not only go before you. It says the the God of Israel, only one of those. The God of Israel will be what? Your rear guard. So today if you're looking for him and you can't find him, today if you're discouraged based on everything you see in front of you and to your left and to your right, I have a suggestion. Look behind you. 
Look at how good he's always been. Look at the provision he's always had. He's always preserved you. He's always preserved your family. He's always provided a way. He's always guided and directed you. He's always been there when nobody else was there. In the moments of your loneliness and hurt and pain, when nobody else wanted you, he was always there. Look behind you. And I guarantee you'll find a trail of his footsteps, a trail of blessings, a trail of mercies seen and unseen. Man, how good is Jesus? Wow. But it says, in the breaking, their eyes were opened. In the breaking, their eyes were opened. Have you lived long enough to know? Have you served Jesus long enough to know is that in the most broken areas of your life, you saw him the clearest? Do you know what I'm talking about? Don't act superficial here today. I have a spirit of prophecy and call you out. I'll do it quickly. But the moments that we've been broken, we have seen the Lord the most clear. I can think of moments in my life where I said, God, I didn't know you'd let me hurt this bad. I I didn't know that people were this vicious, God. I didn't know you gave the devil this long of a leash in my life. But it's in the breaking you find out what you're made of. You don't know what you're made of until you what? How do I know? How do I know? Read the scripture. Abraham was broken, Isaac was broken, Jacob was broken, Joseph was broken, Job was broken, Gideon was broken, Esther was broken, Mary was broken, Mary Magdalene was broken. It's in the breaking you find out what? What you're made of. And it's in the breaking that reveals who they really are. And in the revealing, in the revelation, you begin to draw closer to Jesus in different ways. Do you know why Jesus took the lead in their home? Do you know why he comes and he goes in the kitchen and he, I guess, and gets the bread and sits at the table? Do you know why he did that? Every Jewish home, you break the bread, you hold the bread up, and you say, blessed are you, Lord our God, king of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. You do that and you break it, but you know what else happens? Your sleeves would fall from the robe you're wearing. And you know what they saw? They saw the piercings. It's all the scars. And it says that once their eyes were opened. What you and I try to hide, our scars, they're testimonies to Jesus. You see, you and I, we only talk about the successes, but what we find out is their eyes weren't open because Jesus walked on water. Their eyes weren't open because he fed 5,000. Their eyes weren't even open because he raised and resurrected a 12-year-old girl. Their eyes were open. Why? Because of his scars. Because of his trauma. Because of his pain. And all of us in our little Christian circle trying to hide our pain and our scars and limit the testimony of God in our lives, we're missing it. It wasn't the mountaintop moments that Jesus experienced that healed them. It was his scars that healed him. It was the revelation that healed him. John 10, 27 says this. It says that when he was in front of Thomas and the rest of the disciples, he said, put your finger where? In my wounds. See my hands and reach your hand and not touch my side. Do what? Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. The same place of the bruising and the bludgeoning and the nails that were driven It was the same place that caused healing. And Isaiah said it best in Isaiah 53, 5. He said, by his wounds, we were what? Healed. So right now, I'm talking to everybody with their own road to Emmaus. I'm talking to everybody who's on a journey right now. I'm talking to everybody who's going to walk out of this place different because he's on the journey with you. And you won't be so frustrated because you haven't yet arrived. If you hadn't yet arrived, good. There's space for Jesus to join your journey. Because if you haven't yet arrived, it's probably because maybe you haven't included him on the entirety of the journey. And he's giving you an opportunity to be included in his purpose, his plan. Not your purpose and your plan, in his purpose and his plan. Uh, These forks in the road are going to look a lot different moving forward. Because we've all been given our own road to Emmaus. Internally and externally. In all of our lives. And I pray that we look to the moments of breaking and we're not afraid of them. The challenging moments, 
the trying moments, the anxiety-filled moments. Oh, this is just an opportunity for the Lord to do his greatest works because it's with the, the revelation of the, the nail-scarred hands and, and his side is when their eyes were opened. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and your love and for revealing yourself to the travelers on the road to Emmaus and revealing yourself to every person in this place today. Lord, in the best way we know how, we surrender every part of us, God. We're all on a journey right now. It looks different for every person in this place, but we collectively say, join our journey. Meet us at mile marker one, three, five, wherever we're at, Father, meet us at that mile marker and take us the rest of the way. Take our eyes off of the finish line and put our eyes on how to live faithfully in this journey. Put one foot in front of the other. Give us this day our daily bread and be faithful and obedient to your purpose and your plans in our life, we pray, Father. And lastly, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you are far from Jesus Christ in any way, do not leave here without him. Do not keep walking a road without Jesus. That would not make sense. If that is you, we're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to be transparent and repent of your sins and welcome Jesus into your life. Either rededicate your life because you've walked away or for the first time, welcome Jesus into your life. And so church, for those who are going to be praying that prayer, I want you to join along with us. Lord God, we believe in you. We believe you sent your son Jesus to die and resurrect again. We repent of our sins and welcome Jesus into our life. Holy Spirit, give us a hunger for your word and discipleship, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give everybody a hand who prayed that prayer for the first time today. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, please check out our website at LegacyChurchAI.org or follow us on social media at LegacyChurchAI. We'll see you next time.